All right. Good evening. Welcome to another episode of the Racing Line podcast. What an episode we have for you guys tonight. The aftermath from the Australian Grand Prix, by far the best race of the season so far. saying that because we're biased as Australians. We're not saying that um, because some of us were at the race. We're saying that purely as racing fans um, because there was quite an awesome spectacle um, and a few great talking points for us to kind of get into tonight. So Joseph, Harry, thanks for jumping on. Um, let's just get straight into it. I mean, let's start with this. What were your key takeaways from this weekend of racing? Yeah. For, firstly, I'd like to know, Anth, how was it on the ground? Like, how was your experience being there? Mate, it was, it was awesome. It was very different to when I went 10 years ago. So I hadn't been for 10 years, a very different experience just with the amount of people that were there. Um, I think that um, like, if you want to get a good spot in general administration or at general admission, you better get there early mm -hmm. um, and you better be ready to sit there and wait because um, there was a lot of people. Um, so luckily for us, we had grandstand seats. That was an awesome experience, really comfortable, good, you know, good vantage points. But I think the most awesome thing to see was just, you know, walking around the track, particularly like on Saturday, we did a full lap around the track, um, before qualifying, we watched qualifying on Sunday. We got there a bit early, walked through, you know, um, turn three, turn two, turn one. And like the main um, area behind the, the, the main straight grandstand and it was buzzing. People were excited. You know, a lot of merchandise was getting sold for ridiculous prices. Let's put it that way, but everyone was having a good time. Um, and you know, just bought an ice cream. How, much, there, how the much is ridiculous the prices? Have been better. Pardon? How much is ridiculous? How much is ridiculous prices? $90 I sold three fifty for a jacket. $90 for a cap's pretty ridiculous. 180 bucks. Oh, for a t-shirt, it's ridiculous. So I got a, a bargain with my online bucks. sale. Pardon? I got a bargain with my online sales. Um, I strongly recommend doing it as an online sale. The only thing that <laughs> let me down was that I didn't take a cap with me on the weekend. Mm -hmm. And it was that sunny on Sunday. That did I you did buy one? I did need to succumb. Luckily, I had some winnings from the CAS that night to kind of <laughs> offset the difference. So, um, Yeah. It was an awesome, mate. It was awesome. It was electric to be there. Um, when you kind of are boots on the ground and see what the sport is like right now, particularly with the young fans, the, um, the female fans, like just everyone, you know, from all different walks of life, um, different times in their life, all enjoying the spectacle. Um, that's pretty uplifting. Uh, and awesome. I think the best part about it was that the track or the race that was delivered to them um, kind of fit the bill. Can I ask you a yeah, question? Well, were you thinking about your stupid ideas last week uh, while you were at the race this weekend? <laughs> um, nope. I, I don't want to get into it right now. There's too many good things to talk about before I want to bring some of those things up. I don't, I don't want to have any negative conversation. I've got some very pragmatic... They're just pragmatic statements. They're not going to be 
like controversial anything like that. Um, well, but we should, begin at the be- we should begin at the beginning. Yeah, qualifying was one of the best sessions I remember for oh. a long time. Yeah, if the, that's was- not if that's not an an advertisement because apparently the tire contracts up in a couple of years. If that's not an advertisement for Formula One to say we want tires that can go in qualifying well, but, but for the whole session, four, they take four laps to to get to optimum. That's perfect. Oh. Yeah. It keeps cars so out good. track for longer as well because I think what you did see was that they did take a like they took a bit of time to bet in, which means that the laps got faster and faster. But you know, if there's one like we all love qualifying, but if there was one thing that kind of was always a little bit of a letdown is the qualifying lull between the um, mm. like in the middle of the sessions. Whereas in this particular scenario, I felt like there never was really a lull. There was always cars on track. Um, you know, the threat of rain at the end of qualifying as well mm. kind of kept people out on track too for fear of getting caught out with a bit of moisture. Um, but I do agree, the harder the harder t- tyres, uh, and I didn't really get, I wasn't getting the British commentary. We just had the kind of track commentary for the race. So it wasn't as, I wouldn't say it was as thorough or as um, uh, educational as maybe the BBCs, um, but yeah, what a spectacle. And so good to see, obviously, Perez was having issues all day. He got caught out straight away um, with those issues in in qualifying, which kind of put Red Bull on the back foot. Mercedes looked really good. Ferrari kind of were there or thereabouts, and so were Aston Martin. So even though Red Bull are still just as dominant as they were last week when we were talking about it, to see three teams so close. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think they I don't really think they were just as dominant as last week. Like, even if you look at how, like, I don't want to skip to the race, but yeah, Checo had a bad qualifying session and he wasn't able to sort of pull the moves that the Red Bull was capable of at Jeddah last weekend. You know, that I don't DRS- know if you were watching him during Q, during um, the second sector on pretty much every lap for the first half of the race. But yeah, that but Red Bull was, was literally. There was a- there was a time when he got stuck in the ninth and gear compared to everyone who was going around. It, it wasn't well, he even was, close. He was, well, he was still only able to race up to the fifth. Like, like I had my, well, I think I predicted him to come fifth, but in my heart of hearts, I thought he'd come back to second, to be honest. With the length of the race. So, I mean, his biggest problem wasn't, I don't think, I think if he was able, like, they were saying the tire deck wasn't super low during the race. But at the same time, there was a like even just the eye test, there was a, a lull in the middle of the race, 10 laps or so, when he got behind Norris. So I think he might have been up to ninth and he was six seconds behind Norris. And then in those 10 laps, he might have caught up half a second. Uh, and I think there was a period in the race where he kind of just had to sit on the tyres for a little bit before he went again, just to make sure he had enough you know, juice left at the end of the race. But then once, you know, that 10 laps was us, he brought, he brought that six seconds in very, very quickly, um, extremely quickly to be frank. Uh, but I don't think he ever would have got to second because even though um, he was that fast, I mean, by the time he gets through the field, Ferrari or Carl Sainz and the Mercedes and even the Alpines for, for that matter, um, they just built up enough buffer by not being in that same traffic. I think um, it did show the disparity in performance between Max and Checo, though, because Max was able to pull 10, 12 seconds on Lewis at the front. 
um, whilst but he's also, trying to get through the grid. I think that's also. I think it's a double-edged sword as well. I think it's a double-edged sword because one thing that I was impressed is was that during the whole race, Checo and Max were trading fastest laps. Now you can mm. say that Checo had the benefit of the DRS, which he did, uh, but you're also being hindered when you're kind of a faster car trying to get around slower cars. Whereas Max obviously didn't have the benefit of the DRS, but he had clear air, he had um, clean air, um, you know, a lot less heat affecting his eyes as well. So I think what I was impressed with from Perez's point of view, yes, Max was dominant, but the fact that they were both kind of tit for tatting, changing faster slaps meant to like kind of showed me that there's a little bit more to it than just yeah. um, also a one-way street in performance. Also, Checo got screwed, not screwed. He was unlucky after the first red flag when mm-hmm. they sort of raced down to the first corner. I think he was sitting in like 14th or by that stage of the race. And then he got totally blocked going into the first corner and dropped down to 18th. Like on, So he lost four spots there that he had to make up that he wouldn't have had to. Okay. Having said we go that, to that red flag. Let's start with the the, the, the start of the race. So we had well, well, um, quickly, quick things about qualifying. I was very surprised if Botas this weekend had no no apparent pace whatsoever. Out of all the drivers, I think, like, um, very surprised if the lack of they pace. They didn't show him had. on TV, but I listened to his interview today and he said he went in for the, for the red, uh, for the hards, the lap before the red flag came out. So he was mired at the back. And yeah, but a lot of them did. We didn't see him during the race, but then he also went for softs. Once he'd made a few positions um, to end the race to kind of come, come home strong. And then the second red flag came out a lap or two after that. So he said he had a lonely race, but both of the times he pitted, um, he was hit with the red flag that kind of just, you know, he didn't, wasn't able to recover that position. He lost the pit stop and he lost all the places and any advantage he could have got from the, the strategy that they called. Um, I think I think the fact that he was running such an alternate strategy also showed that as a team they just didn't have their outright pace as well. They're like I would have, you would expect him yeah, usually but, to be. But Joe than- was actually I wouldn't say that he was dominating, but he was he was keeping honest with that you know group at the back end of the top ten himself. Piastri. I was, I was just surprised that Botas was sort of the worst of the of the midfield cars mm. for the race. To, like mm. he was struggling against. Um, you know, a lot of the boys, to be honest, I, d- I just didn't expect it. Um, I think the Alpha keep Tauri's... qualifying, but then you start talking about the race, Joe. No, I was talking about I I was talking about qualifying. You mentioned the race. I was talking about qualifying. What did you make of what did you make Harry? What did you make of the start of the race? Particularly the drag between the first or the second, but the drag between let's start with George and Max and obviously then Lewis is capitalizing on the situation as well. Well, George had a rapid start. He got Max. And you know what? It was good to see Max and how much he's matured over the last few years because two, three years ago, he would have just gone all out to try and keep that position. But he knows he's in a quick car. He knows he's got the ability to catch George quickly and he just let him go, which was good to see. And we, you know, we saw George up front and he actually pulled quite a gap on Max in the first first little stint there and then obviously made the 
decision to come in and pit, but ruined his whole. I think, was, I think that was the right. Defi- I think that also was the right decision, though. Like I don't. Wanna, I agree. Um, I was very disappointed with, you know, I was, once the two Mercedes got first and second, I thought that was going to be a good chance to see, you know, what they could do with track position because you sort of a can aid aid the car that's defending. Max with the DRS, you know, which is helpful in itself. Well, well, and yeah. I, th- I, th- I think what, what we saw in the first stanza was they were able to do that. Whereas once George got relegated to sixth after the red flag, Lewis uh, needed Lewis the was DRS a sitting, to, was, a, yeah. was a sitting duck. Um, see, like that in the, itself yeah. was, yeah. I think, a bit of a we were robbed a little bit of something there. Um, I thought, like, realistically, the start of the race was pretty awesome. Like there was a lot of trading mm. other than I think uh, Leclerc who I'm not going to say he made a mistake. I think it was just a very awkward situation for all three of them there. And he even, he even said like he thought he had, a, he saw a gap that then just closed up very quickly. Massive implications for him that no points out on the first lap. Um, I thought the first, the first couple of laps went, went by really well. Um, it wasn't, a, it was, like in hindsight, it was a very good start compared to the other one we got. Um, and I think it mixed up the cars were like well enough that we got a, you know, a nice mix of cars in the first couple of positions. And there was a lot, quite a lot of, um, I thought there was like at the start of the race, especially there was quite a few uh, good, like overtaking maneuvers once the DRS sort of kicked in as well. Like a lot of, once you get that DRS train, a lot of, all the moves after that had to be, you know, well thought out, you know, daring maneuvers. Um, I think that's why also Checo, a lot of his moves are really good because he was in that DRS train. So yes, he has a faster car, but um, it's still harder when the car in front of you has got DRS as well. And he was still having to set, like, sort of send it in from way back and make it stick. Uh, like that's, that's... That, I think one thing that we, um, I think one thing we saw from this race was the how effective DRS can be, and at the same time how detrimental it is as well. Because we had three DRS zones, we had one on the back of the main straight, four, four, sorry, back straight, second straight. Sector two coming into turn 10. Um, and what we saw was in the first sector, main straight, first sequence of corners, and then going into turn four, um, because you have the first corner and then a not so long second straight, um, the moves that needed to be done still needed to be done in the braking zone. So mm. you still had a, a move where the driver had to kind of um, show some balls and kind of, um, put himself out there in some regard. And it also gave the defending driver a chance to place their car uh, and be a little bit, and, and to defend, genuinely defend a move. And then we saw sector two where that really long new section where there's no chicane there anymore. Cars were just able to, to breeze by for the most part. And then going into the turn 10 DRS zone, the same thing applied again, where um, the straight wasn't long enough um, to kind of make a move and, and move back into formation, the driver bef- behind had to kind of stick their nose into the corner, make something happen, and the driver in front also had half a chance to to defend it in some regard. So I thought there were two really effective zones where 
the overtake um, or whether DRS was beneficial but not overpowered, uh, and it gave the the person in front a chance to, in some way, defend themselves. But then we also saw kind of the you know the DRS zones we're seeing in you know Saudi Arabia, etc., where it's kind of just like get behind them, fling it open, and you know by the time you tuck into turn eight, um, you know you're twenty meters ahead of the car that was that you were overtaking, yeah. if that makes sense. What do you guys think, think about it, that? Is that too think, negative or I'm trying to be... No, no. I think... I, I think go, H. I was just going to say, when they redesigned that back section and um, all of Albert Park, apparently Daniel and a lot of the drivers were at the at the meetings and were the, the ones leading the, the design changes. So I guess... I think it is so. It is so effective because the drivers have had such a big input, whereas a track like Jeddah, where there is the same amount of DRS zones, but they're shit and don't work properly, didn't have driver input. So I think every change that they've made on that that perspective. I think every change that they've made on that track, including getting rid of the old chicane. Has had a like. It, it, there's a few. There was a few corners in the back section that had slight changes to the, I think the tightness of the corner as well, or they've they squared them off a little bit. I think when you watch the racing, every change that they've made has has had a active, um, sort of effect on on cars passing. Like getting rid of, rid of the. I can't remember. Is it turn seven? Is that ultra cane? Is it turn seven? Mm. Um, getting rid of that has given them a long drive up. And yeah, the Red Bull looks a bit OP going through there, but everyone else seemed, you know, it worked relatively well and it didn't look overpowered. And then coming through or after that old chicane, what is it, eight, nine, they've squared up nine quite a bit as well. So it's a much more 90 degree corner. Um, and you saw cars having to, taking a lot less speed through there. So if you, if you screwed it up or if you, Aced it like you could see a lot of drive coming off the corner as well. Like if you got it, if you got it 100 correct. All in all, I actually noticed though the changes seem to be very uh, well thought out. And and other than you know the cars having different you know capabilities, I thought it, the race itself went really well. That midfield battle was really interesting the whole race, uh, which was something that was a bit hopeful of after last week's conversation um and regard like regardless of what happened at the end of that race there was a really nice mix of cars in the in the top 10 that was changing where you had yeah Verstappen sort of pissed off at the front but after that you saw that the midfield battle including you know the the, the step from Mercedes down to Alpine, let's say, isn't much at all. And even let's say down to like Williams, who surprised me massively this weekend of the pace that they had. Um, Make that Albon crash and then who was it? Hulkenberg? That was... Hulkenberg? No, Magnussen. Hulkenberg drove through. He bounced back on the track. Uh, uh, Stroll. No, Stroll got through easy. It was Hulkenberg, the one that... Oh, no, yeah, it was two. Sorry, it was two. Yeah, that was that was a bit sketchy. That was. Uh, I think. I think. I think that brings us to my first controversy of the weekend, though. Mm. That was yeah. not. I don't care what anyone says. No, it as of as of as of how F one has now. I'm going to caveat this afterwards. As of how F one has run mm. up to this, 
that is not a red flag. The reason was gravel. And that is some absolute bullshit. I've seen, we've seen worse crashes than that on tighter tracks than that. And you don't need a red flag that. Um, and I think realistically, the reason why a team like Mercedes makes the jump to pit Russell straight away is because in that precedent, that is not a red flag. Mm. Um, and I think it, it was Russell and, and, and science who got impl- who sort of got hit the hardest by that pit stop, which was a great strategy move first and foremost. Um, but to red flag it there, I think made absolute no sense. Um, I don't know what the problem with a safety, like we've got, we've got a virtual safety car. We've got a safety car. We've got a safety car as well. So why we're getting a red flag to do something that a safety car has done for so long. And it wasn't like there was, it was a crash on along a whole straight. It was like one small part of a corner. So you have about four minutes of, of lap time, to, you know, to clean it up. They, they were saying that there was damage to the barrier as well though. But there wasn't because they didn't actually do anything to the barrier. Oh, no, I just heard it on the telecast that that's I what heard, I heard it initially, but then it ended up just being gravel. Listen, I don't, I, ne- I didn't think it was a um, safety car at all. I don't, I'm not even, um, I'm not even sure that you should be having a safety car to sweep gravel. I mean, within a couple of laps, you'll have a racing line anyway. Like, no, I think, I think there was enough gravel out of it to get a safety car out there. there obviously like, needs just- to be a safety car to extract the car. You could clean up the gravel while that's happening. That shouldn't have been a problem. Um, I don't know if it needed to be a red flag. The problem is moving forward, are we going to see more of that? Um, it does make for exciting racing. I mean, we've got, if you're on the grandstand and you paid all that money for tickets, you got your money's worth this weekend. Where were your grandstand tickets? Pardon? Where were your grandstand tickets? We were on um, turn seven. So do you know where the swimming pool is? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, we were on that corner, that right-hander that leads you down into literally the corner where um, Albon crashed. Fair enough. Yep. Well, Um, I I didn't think... I didn't think it was a red flag, like from first viewing. And I think a lot of people were taken aback by it. Mm. Even sort of, if you hear the, the, the um, I think Brundle was, was a bit disgruntled by it during the race. And then after the race, Ted, Ted Kravitz was saying, no, it is what it is. But at first viewing, that's definitely not a red flag. If yeah. this is the precedent going forward, I, I have no problem with it. Like that's, that's what I'm, that's one thing. I just want some consistency. Um, I do think you know, then, I'll say this. I felt like the way that the race was adjudicated was a little bit more like you would see in America in NASCAR or IndyCar with like more stoppages kind of bringing the field back together to have um, like better racing. Like we saw one virtual safety car, but I feel like from a spectacle point of view, F1 realizes that you can kind of, if you have the chance to bring the field back together, then you might as well do it in the name of the spectacle. And I wouldn't say that I had an issue with that. Um, because, you know, in, we see it in other categories all the time and it's not really an issue. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's different when it's three, you know, stop, stop, stopped, you know, stop at the, um, what is it called? 
standing start, standing start. Yes, yeah, yeah, standing starts in one race. Like that's like a rolling start, fair enough, makes sense. Like we've seen that a million times. I don't understand A, why that's wrong. You know, mm. then you see sort of what happens at the end of the race, which I think has marred what was a great race with a lot of bullshit results. Um, I just I think like it's- Lando had a good point. He said, I understand after a red flag doing a standing start in the first half of the race, but when it's kind of the back end, mm. why can't we just do a rolling start so we don't get those crashes consistently throughout a race? Can you can you, you know imagine I mean? though? Can you imagine what would have happened if one of the cars had ran up the back of Max after fifty-seven laps mm. of dominating a race? Like how different that the, the whole way that this ended. Like Max had had some fiery words after the sort of race about it. But I, 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 my biggest thing, my yeah. biggest thing is you look at like the Alpine boys. Gasly had probably one of the best races of his career. You know, dicing it with all the cars at the front. Ocon sort of had managed to save what was a pretty abysmal start of the race when he got screwed by the red flag as well. So I was looking at teams like that and, and even um, for a little bit, what it looked like Alonso got screwed as well by the, mm-hmm. um, by, by that start with, with the whole thing with, with science, like there's a lot and even science himself. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of big points that was, involved in that restart that it wouldn't have taken much for it to become um, sort of like a laughing stock for something so late in a race. Um, like I just, by that feel time like he, in the race, I would have been very happy for the race to finish under a I safety have, car. I would have thought that would have like the race was good enough. You know what I mean? I would have thought they would have red flagged it after the last crash and pulled the results back to before restarting it. Like for me, that's what would have made sense because mm-hmm. no one really got would have got fucked over. Everyone had done their pit stops already. And, you know, like I think everyone would have been happy with the positions they were running where they thought they would have been running. Mm-hmm. But then that to change and, you know, a lot of, you know, cold tire stuff happening. I look at like a team like Alpine and they, and they can't be happy with that result. And I know it's, it's somewhat self-imposed. Like then you have a team like McLaren who sort of made an absolute handful of points today that they probably didn't deserve. And, you know, good on them for, you know, for staying alive. I did predict um, Oscar to get points this weekend. I'm happy that my prediction streak comes, comes true, but uh, or came true. But like, I think I look at them, I go, all right, that's some good points for them. Probably didn't deserve it. Team like Alpine was on for some really good points. And I don't think they deserve to, to leave Australia with nothing. And then a driver like Science, who where, where, where Leclerc goes off on the first lap, you know, made what was probably a, one of his great- He had a great race. Science had a great race. And I think what we saw, race. what we were able to see from him was that um, that that Ferrari has made some definite gains in race pace performance because he was able to get through the field. Um, he wasn't able to get close enough to Lewis, but he was sorry to Alonso. But once he did get there, he kind of was keeping pace with the with the Aston and the Mercedes, which was it's, that's good. That's good to see. I think. I mean, you've got three teams set in second, third, and fourth that have 
a relatively similar race pace. It was, I think it was great. I think, Ast- I mean, I think he undersold Alpine how well they did this weekend. I was really impressed with Alpine, to be frank. Um, I think Gasly showed awesome pace. I think Ocon did, you know, everything he could have done to, to put that team in the best position possible to maximize points. Um, I was really impressed with them. I think also a lot of praise has to get heaped on Hulkenberg. I mean, I came into the preseason saying that they shouldn't be pulling back washed up old races, you know, give a new bloke a chance, but hasn't Hulkenberg looked like the same Nico Hulkenberg we saw for, you know, 12 years, just max while not being spectacular, um, maximizing the performances of underperforming cars. That has always been his strength in, in formula one. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I think there's something to be said for um, getting an old head in who is consistent and who is experienced. And, you know, we, we saw Oscar with the whole um, Sonoda. He was stuck behind Sonoda for ages. Um, Lando was quick this weekend, not, you know, super quick, but he was able to keep Checo behind him for, you know, like we said, 10 laps or whatever. Oscar struggled to get past Yuki. And I think that's just because he's not used to the cars. He's not used to it. Really. It's only his second race. He was only 10 laps in, in the first, first round. So gun shy to kind of just pull out and make the move as well. Like doesn't want to make. Yeah. And and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. From what we know, the car does not really, you know, give the driver a confident feeling. Like even you look at uh, how sort of, um, like I, like like I said last weekend, I've never seen Norris sort of like this lack of enthusiasm I, I or very McLaren, like monotone. I think McLaren made a step this week. Yeah, like I guess. Do you really? I do. I would say that there still is a ways to go in qualifying, but I don't think their race pace, particularly Norris's, was that bad at all. Yeah, but like um, we're still talking about a, a car that would have a team that would have come 10th and 12th without that last minute, the last lap sort of. And they came dead last and second last in the first race and they didn't do anything in the last race. So that's definitely an improvement. Yeah, but we didn't, but you wouldn't have expected them at the start of the year to come last and second. Last. Like I feel, I feel like, yeah, they might've made a step, but I don't think, Listen, it's not the step where they, it's not the finished product, but it's definitely it's it's. I would say that that's the race that has started their season for them. Um, yeah, I think um, Oscar's only going to get better from here too. Like he hasn't in qualifying pace, he's been quite close to Lando. He hasn't been that far off. This was probably the biggest week, biggest gap this weekend. Yeah, he hasn't but, done a perfect lap though either. No, but, mm. but you know, it's only as we said, it's only his third weekend. Um, in yep. terms of the rookies, rookies on the grid, he's outperforming Sergeant, and mm-hmm. um, I can't remember who. There's another rookie on the grid, but I can't remember who it is off the top of my head. But um, I think he's doing a really good job. Oh, DeVries. really good. DeVries. I think Oscar showed this weekend he can handle the pressure because we know that Daniel and Mark and all these Aussie drivers in the past have said how hard the Australian Grand Prix is with all the pressure on the media and stuff. I think he did a really good job. I think we've got to commend him on that. I was very impressed, to be honest with you. What about um, Alex Albon? The race didn't go to plan for him, but up until his accident, 
Joe was in Melbourne all weekend in qualifying. Like, um, when I look at when I look at Albon, and I haven't had, I, like, this is probably the first year in a long time I've had reason for optimism. But a, I look at Albon, I go, thank God you're not on that Red Bull contract anymore that we own you. <laughs> now I'm not own you, but like you, we have, you know, we are paying your contract. But also, I look at him and I go, he's not like if he. Yeah, the, the, the crash was probably, it was very disappointing. I'm not going to put, put it that way. But then for him to qualify eighth, which is a fantastic effort in, its, you know, in itself, fantastic effort, then to jump to sixth off the start and then have the pace to gap the car behind him that he was looking, you know, when you look comfortable, like you look, you look like you're meant to be there. Yeah. which is something that Williams hasn't looked for it a wasn't, long time. Let's just say him getting to sixth wasn't, it wasn't an accident. Yeah. It wasn't out of the misfortune of other people. It was pure and, and, pace. And say, and say in a hypothetical world, like he was able to show that pace for the whole race and finished between seventh and ninth or fifth, you know, wherever that, wherever that would have fallen, you would have compared to last year's race where he came 10th, mm. totally different circumstances um, like I saw things from Williams this week that a, I think someone like, um, what's his name? The new team principal, James Vowles has brought from Mercedes, but things like burnt doing sort of donuts, leaving their pit box. So they rubber up the pit box, like stuff like that is, is something that a team like Williams has probably, I've never noticed them do before. So it's little things, them being like, even them being like really disappointed with the results this weekend. I think it shows a how much potential that they believe they have in themselves, which is massive. Um, but like even the way that we're talking about them now, sort of getting into Q two, getting into Q three, like it's it's a it's a massive shift, and a lot of it has to do with I think the work that Russell did in his final year there, and then literally where he left and Albon has picked up. They have, I think, laid a real platform of professionalism. Even though I think what very the, young races. I think what the cost cap also provides William the opportunity to start doing now, if the car is improving and it definitely is, well then the next thing they need are two bullets in the gun. And I know Logan's only, yeah, and I know Logan's only only into his third race. Um, and we saw some good things in his first race. Listen, I'm I'm not trying to jump the gun, but if you're halfway halfway through the year. Three quarters of the way through the year, Logan's on a one-year deal, um, and you kind of see Albon. We'll see if they're able to continue kind of developing at the rate of other teams, etc. But if you kind of is in the position where Albon's still making top tens, three quarters through the year, and 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 Logan's kind of pulling up the rear or or close enough to it, Williams need to start thinking of themselves more as a you know competitive outfit. It could be going think, out and trying to find the best driver possible, not the driver that's going to be bringing them in some finances. Think, because that's really Danny, the next step for them to develop into a a real mid-team, mid-table team. Do you think Danny Rick? No. No. He's no regretting not, not signing with them? No. No. I could see someone like Mick Schumacher. You, I don't think signing Mick Schumacher is, is 
this is a big enough step to what they've got with Logan Sargent. Like he's only done three races and he's looked, he hasn't looked out of place in any of the races really. Uh, I mean, this I weekend he's looked in place this week. No, but this, this is a, is a, is a, like he's a track he's a never been to. It's a bit of an odd track yeah, in itself. I'll say this one thing that's interesting is I always like the first race after they've done all their testing at the track for bloody, you know, they've done 300 laps. You know, everyone should be good at that track, but you see glimpses from drivers who have never raced the track before. Um, and they kind of look up to the task. Now, I wouldn't necessarily say that he looked up to the task this weekend. He was making a few mistakes. He didn't. Definitely like, didn't have nearly the pace of Albon. But do you expect him? But here's the thing. Do you a, expect him to have the pace of Albon? Albon's been there for nearly a decade, a decade, a decade. You look at, like, I would say the same thing. Oscar had a better weekend than him, but Oscar never once this weekend did something. That I thought, snap. That's and he didn't impressive. look out of. I don't think Oscar looked out of place. No, he didn't. But I don't think. I don't think Sergeant also, did either. That's also not Oscar though. Like we're looking at Oscar through F three and F two. He was never the driver to drive the crap out of the car. He's just consistent. He's yeah, but, he's not but, one but, to. But on that argument, we're looking at Logan Sergeant, someone who only had one season of F two, and probably is the most undercooked. One of the most undercooked. Uh, sort of drivers to come in. I'm, I'm not saying he's, he's not, I don't think he's a finished product, but I don't think throwing Mick Schumacher in there, if that's your decision of pushing into the mid table is. No, is I, I said that either. There's a, if you're thinking about drivers that have more experience, that would probably be like, say what you will. I would put my money on Schumacher to beat Logan Sargent just purely based on experience. If you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But the other thing is, I would also put my money on Schumacher putting it in the wall twice or three times a year, which is something that, that like, a, he has a, a stigma that he's going to have to shake. Um, and probably a, t- a team like Williams doesn't have that kind of money to burn, I suppose. Mm. Um, I, I have, I've got more than enough patience with him. Like This was always going to be a development year. I think it's a, it, Williams is not going to pull the pin on him because it's their first development driver that they've brought in for a long, you know, a long time. And I think there's a lot of upside to him if it, if it goes well in terms of, you know, solidifying a foothold in the American market. We've got to remember that they're American-owned now. American-owned with an American driver. If he can be, you know, somewhat decent enough, that's a, that's a pretty... Um, you know, pretty good match if they can make it work. One thing I will note, have noticed though is that that car is slowly getting a few more stickers on it because I think the start of the year has been a lot more positive than what anyone expected. Um, you know, a few uh, a wee, or rear wing sponsor, a couple sponsors along the halo I've noticed. A bit disappointing that the merch doesn't have it on there because it's all come on after the fact. I mean, I, I bought merch on Sunday morning. I was so jacked. I was I was sitting on bed. I'm like, I'm like, Tara, do you want some Mercedes merch? I'm buying some F1 merch, and she's like, Yep. And then, um, I mean, I think it it it, it tells how disappointed I am for that week and shows how much um, potential I think there was. I think I'll be good in Baku too. The next race. 
That car, dude, that car, I can't believe I heard it this week. That car is the second quickest car in all the speed traps in a straight line. And yeah, I think also the reason why it could have stepped out where it did was maybe because of the the lack of downforce that it it has. Um, You know, maybe put a little bit more on there and you wouldn't have had that accident, but it is a very, you know, slim mama. So I'm happy to see what happens at the um, official F1 runway next race as well. <laughs> F1 runway, this guy. Um, any other big talking points? Oh, okay. So, so what about this? Um, what about it? I feel like um, we've spoken about Red Bull. I mean, Max, once he got past Hamilton, um, you, you could visibly see the tens of meters he was making every lap. I mean, it was obviously it was that that Red Bull is still some way ahead from you know from anyone even being close to competing with it in in all reality. But I do want to kind of stick with this battle for second, third, and fourth right now because Mercedes really did put their best foot forward this week and I thought they maximised everything they could have done. Um, I, I would love to have seen that race without it going to that first red flag because um, listen, I don't know if Lewis would have been able to keep Hamilton behind him, but without that accident, Hamilton would have been able to keep I don't think Lewis Max behind him purely based on having the DRS of of George, um, and that kind of was working for a period of time. But I felt like we were a little bit robbed of now through like no nothing else could have been done about it. But that was probably the first real chance we saw of Mercedes having two dogs in a fight. Red Bull being hamstrung by where Perez started the race, and potentially kind of splitting strategy you know, pulling something out of the bag to maximise, you know, uh, uh, um, the, you know, or to hopefully get a win from that race. I think, I think, I think Mercedes, I think A, we would, we would definitely robbed and like you said, do no fault of anyone Mm. of a chance of seeing, you know, of of a team just applying a bit of pressure to Red Bull um, that would have, like with the two cars in front and the ability to split strategy, that would have definitely given Red Bull reason to think about things, number one. Also would have put him in a position where they would have had to push a bit harder to make up a bit of time or positions, which then constitutes, you know, wearing your tyres a bit more, just putting him in a, in a slightly more un, unpredictable and uncomfortable position. So, like, that kind of stuff you can't take for granted. Mm. Uh, Looking at Mercedes and then remembering our conversation from last week, this team has gone from doom and gloom to looking really optimistic without bringing any real upgrades at all. This has all just been trial and error, getting the car into a good performance window. You know, that's just maximizing that's, the car, yeah. Maximizing it. And we've seen a massive change in in pace, in tire preservation. In the like in the ability that they look like the best car in the midfield all of a sudden, and yet Aston is very close to them. I'm not I'm not I'm not disputing that, but with the lot the driver lineup that Mercedes have, with you know the experience that they have, and then also just 
the, you know, the work ethic that I, I believe they have and that match fitness that we always talk about. I don't see, like, and, and I made a, we had a few sort of, you know, off the cuff uh, sort of things after the first race where we're saying has Aston leapfrogged them. Mm. As close as they are, bit premature. Where, I it, where I see it now, that was definitely way, way too premature because the more I think about it, I'm very excited to see with the wind tunnel testing that they have and also the slightly bigger salary cap that they have over Red Bull. If they can, if they can get these, um, these coming upgrades right, and that's a big if. I understand that, and I think this has to, and this has to go with all the teams in the midfield: Ferrari, them, Alpine, and um, yeah, and Aston. I think whatever team can, you know, bring the best upgrade package will probably benefit. The greatest by leapfrogging, leapfrogging, leapfrogging the whole group of them because that whole group of four is so close at the moment. And yeah, Mercedes at the front of it, and I think they'll bring the best upgrades because it's Mercedes. But it is so close in terms of pace and the ability that they couldn't really overtake each other. They could race to the back of each other, but once they were there, they could very easily defend against each other. They're all within that one second window. I think what you're also going to see is track to track, circuit to circuit, the idiosyncrasies mm. of all those different cars, you know, well, benefiting different teams in different races. I don't think it's going to be, you know, that procession. Nah. Every I think, I think you you're going to have different like, drivers, more confident, different. I'd love to see, like I actually can't wait for Monaco, not for the overtakes, but if those cars are that close, um, when you get to a track like Monaco where the driver makes up more, you know, a lot more of the, performance as opposed to you know imagine imagine if we get a wet if we get a wet monaco this year and they've all made good steps with their with their package by then that could be a you know a real spanner in the works but i'm not looking for one-off races i'm just looking at the way that they've these these packages can potentially develop you know with with the and i was saying they should have copied red bull with their philosophy I'm happy to be proven wrong that they, that this philosophy works after this next upgrade because that's that's just better for the sport. But I was I wanted to keep coming back to what we were saying last week about giving you know these artificial boosters to the teams that that are you know falling behind. I think with these F1 teams and the way that they're run and sort of the alpha dog mentality that they all have. You don't need to artificially do anything for these teams. They they're gonna you know work out ways to get give themselves you know extra performance, push the envelope. Um, can I be this was just get for a second? You can. So while um, George was in the front of the race, super excited for the potential for what was going to unfold in that race, you know, super excited for the potential of at least Mercedes keeping um, Verstappen at bay, maybe till you know, for a first or second pit stop. Right. And then obviously strategy changed. Hamilton stayed out with, um, with Verstappen, George went in, which would have hopefully given him an advantage. Um, Cause it was, I think that the move to make as soon as, we have the restart and it's just Hamilton against Verstappen. 
Um, and as soon as we heard the call from the commentators that DRS is open this lap, um, and as soon as we saw that DRS open on that big, long sector two runway, and he was literally high and by halfway down that straight, for a period of time there, um, for a number of laps when he was getting further and further ahead, um, that wasn't fun. Now, the nature of this race, the fact that there were so many thrills and spills and things that um, provided intrigue, etc. I mean, the midfield battle was awesome, um, but the race at the front still, without the artificial condensing of the of the field, um, you know, it could have been embarrassing for even you know the you know it could have been 25 30 seconds between first and second um so to just dismiss how, what how, we how, about last week how, i don't know if how that's... are you how are you doing that math if they're about 10 seconds ahead by the time that with three laps to go because they'd already had a red flag they'd already had a safety car yeah, he would have been further behind if they hadn't had any of those cr- crashes he would have had a 20 at least 20 seconds behind off the fact that George was able to pit. Okay, so let me tell you, the, so let me say this. If he wins by 15 seconds or 30 seconds, is that a real difference to you? No, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying, like, A, I think that like I, I think the, the, the race margin itself, of victory was a lot tighter than the race you're, itself you're was awesome. For. The race was awesome. There were some really good talking points, but if you're looking at it purely from a competitive point of view, first to second, like the fact that, someone as experienced as Lewis was seven time world champion, a team like Mercedes that everybody watching the TV or at the track knew as soon as that DRS opened, there was literally zero ability Mm -hmm. for him to defend against that pass zero. And that's for the race lead. (laughs) I don't know if that looks great. I still, I still I think I, I, it's almost a hill that I am willing to die on. But I feel like if you are able to make a move for a position with, let's be honest, zero risk associated with it, then that's hardly a, um, a maneuver. You know, it's hardly a pass. I'm willing to argue that point to the death. It was. It, it is only. It is only easy for that car. Not really. No. It's like every other. Every other team seemed to have. Like every other car matchup seemed to have a much harder time. Of yeah, making so, of still so, of still making that overtake because they were they were they were getting to the overtaking point much later down that straight. Yeah. I don't want to labour this point like we did last week, so I'm not going to like batten down the hatches on it, but. The point of the argument was that it brings the whole field closer together. So if the rest of the field it is working for, but that car is that OP, well, then therein lies my issue with it. My whole thing was after last week, I just wanted to say, yeah, Max checked out. I'm fine with that. I'm absolutely fine with that. The spectacle in itself Midfield battle, the the spice we had at the start, other than the shit at the end that I didn't really like because it didn't make any sense. I feel like if it had ended 
just before Magnuson had deal, you know, kissed the wall and, and and thrown a spanner in the works. I would have left that race thinking that was a fantastic race. What happens? I expect it to happen in terms of Max winning, but the way we got there, you know, the, the overtaking I saw, the midfield battle, tick 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 tick, great race. It was a great race. So for me, my argument, what we were saying last week was I don't think artificially, you know, altering you know, sort of the cars with this boost, it, it might make a bit good spectacle, but that was, I think, everything that any fan would need. I don't think any fan watched that race and thought, you know what that needed? Needed a little bit of, you know, a little bit more spice to make it a bit more interesting. I don't think anyone thought that leaving that race. Well, it was it was a good start to the Formula One season because the other two races didn't actually happen, and we start the Formula One season in Melbourne every year. So that's how I'm looking at it. I, I like it. Well, what I think we've just got to finish off on our thoughts on how the race ended. Classical. Um, I mean, it was interesting to say the least. Um, what was the feeling like in the in the actual? Um, track like what was everyone saying um a lot of people were chanting let them race which was interesting <laughs> so there might have been some pressure there to put on the show listen people were waiting there for half an hour it got very cold very quickly once the start the um once the sun went down and then as soon as the call was made that it was going to be a race that technically finished under safety car after waiting that mm. long for a decision pissed a lot of people off and very quickly after that um the grandstand emptied before mm. the race finished which is unlike i kind of was of the opinion listen we were waiting that long you might as well at yeah. least wash the cars come around one more time and congratulate them on the effort but there was a definite feeling that people were kind of either would have rather there were really three decisions that could have been made you know i initially thought that with that little to go, the race would have been red flagged and it wouldn't have been restarted. I could have lived with that. I thought the race um, could have, fin- and I said this as much on the day as well, could have finished under a yellow flag um, straight away. And I think it wouldn't have ruined the spectacle at all. But I think the fact that fans were left waiting for half an hour that the race might be restarted with another shot at positions to change. I mean, there was even for a time there was Saints in third, Hulkenberg in fourth with the very real possibility, which eventuated of Saints getting a penalty. And people were talking about that on the grandstand thing, like, um, you know, how awesome would it be if Hulkenberg gets on his podium finally? And then there was a bloke next to me that said, that was saying, you know, we're going to leave a couple of laps before so that we miss the traffic. To <laughs> when that point came up, he said, "Mate, if Hamilton, if Hulkenberg gets on the podium, we've got to storm the, uh, we've got to storm the podium. We we can't leave early." So there were all <laughs> these little conversations going on, um, based on the options that were, you know, available. And I think really, I don't know if they made the wrong decision. I think they waited too long to make that decision because if that decision is made as soon as that second kerfuffle takes place and the race just gets, you know, put under safety car and they, you know, roll around for one more lap, I think everyone would have taken that as a great race still. You know what I mean? Mm. 
Um, my, my, my whole thing is such a big tip, and it was ironic because Michael Massey was at his first F1 event since his fateful decision to let them race in Abu Dhabi two years ago, you know, under his new role in supercars. And um, I think in Ted's notebook on Thursday, he was talking about how Michael Massey was there and he said something like, who let this man back into the F1 paddock? Yeah, Ted's an and idiot then, sometimes. Oh, like I thought it was somewhat funny as well. Like I, I, it, it is what it is. But for, for what it seems like yesterday, for the, the precedent for the end of the race to be taken straight out of that Michael Massey handbook of eight, you know, let's give him a, you know, an ending, you know, an, a fitting end to the race. It just felt like after all we've heard for the last two, what is it, a year and a half of Hamilton was robbed. It wasn't, it's not meant to finish that way. It literally feels like the, the new team said, oh, to hell with that, to hell with convention of what people know. Let's just make it up as we go along. We're going to put a red flag for Albon. Everyone says, what's going on? We live with it. We're going to call a red flag for Magnussen. Never seen that shit before, but we'll live with it. Then you get the carnage after the restart. Like Ant said, temperature is dropping, track's getting colder. There's a big accident. I don't know who in their right mind then decides, let's start giving out penalties. Alonso, you can have your spot back. Hulkenberg, you have to drop back to the line because we're going off the the starting order, not the second safety car line. Why didn't you go off the second safety car line? Because we don't have to. It's, there's no precedent that we have to. Then you have The other thing that's like- really interesting, sorry to cut you off, is I still can't understand if they were, like, so for example, if they kept the grid based on the safety car line or, you know, after no, the accident occurred. They kept, here's the thing, they kept the grid. I know they the did, but I'm saying positions. if they didn't, if they had have let the grid be set based on the safety car line, what happened after those incidents, right? Mm-hmm. Then you give science a penalty. But if you revert the grid to pre all that shit happening, you can't give science a penalty. That's, that's, that's the part I'm saying. Like, it doesn't make sense. So you're giving a penalty for causing an accident with a driver who then gets given his spot back mm. in the race. It's like penalty's only supposed to be applied if we're giving him advantages the driver. Yeah, so we're giving him a penalty, but at the same time, we're reverting back to the position. And, and yeah, if, the, if, if Alonso's car had been damaged, different story. But like for them to revert this positions right back to where they started and said, all right, we're just going to end it under a, a safety car with the positions reverted without the Alpines who were sort of involved in that whole tussle. Um, what's his name? Stroll was fortuitous because he ended up in the gravel, but then was able to finish fourth. Alonso Stroll got solved things, man. He didn't the, want the position. It doesn't like what else, like, it, regardless, it, like, I don't remember, I don't think the farcical Abu Dhabi comes close to this when you start breaking down, you know, does, like everything in Abu Dhabi still made sense because, oh, we want them to uh, race for a championship. Yeah, it's unconventional, but I can see it. This term of events, when, I, when you break it down, nothing makes sense. And I think that's the only disappointing thing is because we had such a great race and it gets mired in all this no one would have given a shit if they just finished on the safety car and, and swept the track, like at all. It was like what two laps, 
I th- only reason I think they did it was because I wanted to give Lewis a chance of dive bombing into the first corner and, and beating Verstappen. That's the only reason I, c- I think they did it. That's it. Look, I got a friend who she's watched Drive to Survive like every season, loves Drive to Survive, but has never actually watched the race. Mm-hmm. Watch, watch this race, and I get a message last night saying that was freaking awesome. So as a spectacle, like Anthony said, it was awesome. People aren't going to deep dive into why the race ended the way it did because they just don't care enough. Where it's only the people who are following it religiously like us. Um, I honestly think they're, they're doing it for entertainment purposes. And the red flag was a couple of red flags were done just to bring the field closer together and to get more, if, more highlights, more. If this is the precedent going forward, I have no problem with it, like at all. Mm. But if, if the next time this happens, like say there's a crash on the straight at Azerbaijan, and we don't get a red flag and we get a yellow flag or what are they called? Um, a virtual safety car. I'm going to feel pissed off. Especially. I think, if- I think the virtual safety car is on the way out. I hope it is. I don't, I don't see the point in the virtual. So I've never been a fan of it. I see uh, the point when a car breaks down near an exit point and they can wheel it out quickly. It oh has yes. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll pay that. Yes. Fair. I'll pay that to you. Um, but even still, I'm very much of the mindset. But, if, but even, even I, I love consenting in the field with a safety car, not a red flag, flag, but a safety car is for me personally, always exciting. Um, but yeah, I think it will be interesting to see the decisions that are made moving forward based on the precedent that's been set here. Mm. Um, I think. I think we'll see and that I, the precedent I, got roasted. Pardon? I think the precedent that they set this weekend got roasted because A, we realise it's not that safe when you've got all these cars that are, have old, or not old, but like cold tyres, number one. You know, it's, it's, that's a lot of money that got thrown out, you know, down the train. And then I don't think it even made the spectacle that much better. I think if you had, start, if you had held them under a slow safety car, started them, you know, single file, you would have got a few moves in the last two laps of the race, but you know none of that hooliganism and carnage. And, and I think even um, Ocon said, "It's not the it's not the FIA's problem; it's our problem for being greedy drivers." Which is fair enough. You know, they were everyone was trying to make one last move at the end of the race. If you're if you're a racer, you can't even. I can't, you can't even blame any of those drivers. Like if you no, get you, that opportunity and you're not, not at all trying to maximize it, then you're not a racer. Not at all. But like at the same time, we still have to sort of yeah. save them from themselves. Well, this is my, this is the way, probably the, the question that I would like to finish the pot on then. Is, is the dominance of the Red Bull, right? Like, objectively, the fact that it is so much better, do you think the FIA or Formula One is, has given some kind of directive to say, listen, if we've got a chance to bring this field together in a way that we haven't done so in the past, we need to bring this field closer together so that um, it doesn't seem like they're racing in a different league to everyone else. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, and, I'm, and like I said, I'm not... So if they do, I just want the precedent now 
to be consistent. Like that's all you can ask for is just, you know, when something happens to go, oh, I understand that. Because I mean, I know that a lot of fans wouldn't have understood what was happening at yeah. the end of that race. But at least if, also, if, one thing I'll say is this, like I said, I kind of mentioned it before, but, you know, you know, we watched IndyCar, you know, if someone so much as locks up and there's, you know, um, like smoke that comes off the tires, the race control and IndyCar are willing to bloody pull out the yellow flag and say safety car. Like, you know, as soon as someone kisses the wall, safe, you know, and there's mm-hmm. any reason, any chance they have of, um, recondensing the field if it spreads out you know they're not even shy about about how absurd sometimes it might seem you know someone spins out safety car all of a sudden they're back on track they've just lost you know five or six positions with that precedent people don't seem to have an issue with it because it's kind of become accepted it's almost like if they don't do that then that's what seems like is rigged if that makes sense so if a precedent like that was set in Formula One, you know, it does provide more spectacle. It does provide a better show. Um, how would you feel about it? H, I'll go to you first. As long as they're consistent, I'm, I'm, you know, I think it made it an even better race. I think there would have been a lull in the entertainment yesterday if they didn't bring the field closer together. Um I guess you never know what's going to happen throughout, but um, yeah, look, as long as they're consistent throughout the season and they don't just do it for, for the sake of doing it, then mm. happy days move on. Anything to add to that, Joe? I don't, I don't think I'll ever be a fan of it. I think that's one thing I, that actually shits me about IndyCar is when they throw a caution because someone kisses the wall and then by the time they throw the caution, there's nothing there anymore. Self-rectified. But like like Harry said, if it's consistent, I'll understand it. And if it's and, and I'm all for you know keeping it entertaining because that's really realistically what keeps the sport alive. But if we go to Azerbaijan next week and it is sort of run like a conventional race, I'll be very I'll be very shitty about this one if it, it becomes like an outlier mm. because, like I said, a lot of a lot of teams have missed out on good points. A lot of teams are going to have to spend a lot of money for what the the feeling of some artificial, you know, hype up. If 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 it doesn't become a precedent, it's just going to look like a farcical when 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 we think back on that race. And I don't want this race to be thought of like that because it was a great race. I don't think it will. I think this race is going to go down as probably one of the most entertaining. That was one Australian of the best Australian Grand Prix, Grand Prix I can, re- can remember in a long time. Like Considering long they say time. that it's normally one of the you know less overtaking, bit tamer races. I mean, this was all we could have dreamed of and more controversy, some great talking points, some great racing. Um, Good start to the season. Yeah, it kind of. <laughs> I've, I've got a lot. I've got a renewed optimism, um, and you, I can't wait to get seen- to. You definitely seem a lot happier than you were last week. I've got to say, like mm. you, you don't seem like you, you you despise the sport this week, which is a massive, <laughs> massive upside. I was sitting there in the stands when um when 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 Max made the move on on Hamilton. I think I had three or four laps where I was, you know, you could. I, I feel like if you looked at my face, you would have been turned to stone. I would probably looked like an absolute troll. 
Um, but then the, you know, and that race, I just kind of got over. I'm like, well, what the hell? I'm not going to even focus on anymore. But the actual intrigue of, you know, the midfield battle, Hamilton and Alonso, uh, Norris, Magnussen, Hulkenberg, right. like the, there was Wrapping good races throughout. I only, the only thing I hope is that, um, you know, you see a lot of Red Bull merch, you see a lot of Mercedes merch, a lot of people go for the biggest teams. And if you're only focusing on those battles, you might not have the same um, kind of be looking at the midfield battle with as much vigor as someone who's going for a McLaren or an Alpine or, you know, one of those teams where the the battle is actually um, taking place. But with all of that being said, I want to end it tonight. Awesome. One, end it, Joe. One, I'll give it to you fact. to finish it off, brother. So I, I learned one amazing fact this week, and you're mm. not going to believe this, but it's it's a it's a fascinating fact. The race for the most sponsors on the car goes to the one and only McLaren. No team has, more, individ, has no has more individual sponsors than the Papaya Boys. And congratulations, guys! You've won that championship. You know that car in the in the flesh doesn't look as bad. Doesn't look bad at all, but those those wheel covers look like dog shit. I don't care what anyone. I'm not says. a fan they, of the wheel cover. Yeah, I'm not bring, a fan they, of the wheel cover. They bring it um, if it had if it had normal black wheel covers or just like a bit of. I'm not a fan streak. of wheel covers in general. Go back no, to spokes. I'm just I'm just saying, just a streak of orange. That's it. They'd look half decent, but with these rainbows, you can't get a good picture, side profile or semi side profile that you want to put on your wallpaper because you've got that fucking colourful shit all over it. It's Google it's Chrome, like a yeah. candy flock. Yeah, I, I know I know what it is. It says fucking Google and Android about six times on their shirt all over here. But, like, <laughs> it just looks... You couldn't looks get tacky. through one pod without a cuss, could you? You like tacky. those movies that they want to be M-rated so they just have to chuck in a few F-bombs and then they get their M15 plus rating. Oh, whatever. All right, boys, I think we'll leave it there. What a great weekend of racing. Back you in three weeks. Bit of time off. Talk about supercars next week. Supercars next week. A few talking points there. Um, Some good, some bad. So I think we'll leave it there, boys. Pardon? Mainly bad, it seems. Oh, yeah? No, it's stuff that I expect to talk about, but it's not happy camping. All right. Interesting. I think um, that's a very good segue into next week. So, boys, thank you so much. Have a great night. And thank you so much to everyone else who's been listening. Please like, subscribe, etc., etc. We really appreciate you uh, being on the journey with us. And we will talk to you again next week. Thank you so much.